0: Thank you for viewing this live to tape video. live to tape is part of Votations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit VotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the Flotation's Life to Tape podcast. We're reading the Junior Classics Volume One Fairy and Wonder Tales. Now this is a podcasting 2.0 podcast, which means it's easy to find it if you're using a newer app, and uh, you can check in the links below what apps are podcasting 2.0. Podcasting 2.0 is like an open directory where everyone can post their uh, post their podcast links. Uh, the RSS feeds, and then you have the ability to follow whoever you want, and you don't have to worry about so much censorship. And when people talk about censorship, they usually think, you know, negative things like far right or something. But censorship, you know, goes both ways, and there's there's plenty of content that's censored in other countries that we uh, here in the United States totally don't think uh, should be censored uh for example there are, there are countries out there that think you know boy bands are should be banned and and they put you know a lot of effort into banning certain things on the web which are you know shouldn't be banned and so podcasting 2.0 is very much a system that you know doesn't adhere uh to you know kind of censorship and you know removal of content based on on, you know, on, it's not so much they're trying to go around in, in different countries' restrictions, but they give it up to the user to uh, decide what they want to listen to and what they don't want to listen to. So it's like a library, a, a full library of all the podcasts around. So if you're using a Podcasting 2.0 app, you can find this podcast easily. Uh, I do publish on social media and the links in this episode. How you can add this podcast feed directly into iTunes, uh, which is a legacy app. So let's get started with the Junior Classics Volume One Fairy and Wonder Tales: The Emperor Trojan's Goat Ears by W. S. Karzik. There once lived an emperor whose name was Trojan. The emperor had goat ears, and he used to call in a barber after barber to shave him. But whoever went And never came out again, for while the barber was shaving him, the emperor would ask what he observed uncommon in him, and when the barber would answer that he observed his goat's ear, the emperor immediately cut him into pieces. At last it came to the turn of a certain barber, who fretted illness and sent his apprentice instead. When the apprentice appeared before the emperor, he was asked why his master did not come. He answered, because he is ill. Then the emperor sat down and allowed the young, the, allowed the youth to shave him. As he shaved him, the apprentice noticed that the emperor's goat's ear. But the Trojan asked him, "What he had observed?" And he answered, "I have observed nothing." Then the emperor gave him twelve ducats, and said to him, "From this time forth, you shall always come and shave me." When the apprentice came home, his master asked him how he got on the emperor's, and the youth answered. Ah, oh, well, the emperor has told me that I am to shave him in future. Then he showed the twelve ducats he had received, but as to the emperor's goat ears, of that he said nothing. From this time forth, the apprentice went regularly to the Trojan to save him, and for each shaving he received twelve ducats, but he told no one that the emperor had goat ears. At last, it began to worry and torment him that he dare not. He dared tell no one his secret, and when he came sick and began to pine away, his master, who could not fail to observe this, asked him what ailed him. And after much much pressing, the apprentice confessed that he had something on his heart which he dared not confide to anyone, and he added, If I could only tell it to someone, I should feel better at once. Then said the master, Tell it to me, and I will faithfully keep it from everyone one." else or if you fear to trust me with it then go to the confessor and confide it to him but if you will not even do that then go into the fields outside the town there dig a hole thrust your head into it and tell the earth three times what you know and then throw the mold in again and fill up the hole the apprentice chose the last course went into the field outside the city dug a hole into which he thrust his head and called out three times, The emperor Trojan has goat ears. Then he filled up the hole again, and with mind quite relieved went home. When some time had passed, there sprang up an elder tree out of this very hole, and three slender stems grew up beautiful and straight as taper. Some shepherds found this elder, cut off one of the stems, and made a pipe of it, but as soon as they began to blow into the new pipe, out burst the words, The Emperor Trojan has goat ears. The news of this strange occurrence spread immediately through the whole city, and at last the Emperor Trojan himself heard the children blowing on a pipe. The Emperor Trojan has goat ears. He sent instantly for the barber's apprentice and shouted to him, Hey, what is this you have been telling the people about me? The poor youth began at once to explain that he had indeed noticed the Emperor's ears but had never told a soul of it. The emperor tore his saber out of its sheath to hew the apprentice down, at which the youth was so frightened that he told the whole story in its order, and how he had confessed himself to earth, and how the elder tree sprang up on the very spot, and how a pipe was made of one of its sterns, the tale was sounded in every direction. Then the emperor took the apprentice with him in a carriage to the palace, to convince him of the tr- to t- carriage to take him to the place, to convince him of the truth of the story. And when they arrived, they found there was only a single stem left. The emperor Trojan ordered a pipe to be made out of this stem, and when he might hear how it sounded, as soon as the pipe was ready, one of them blew into it, and out poured the words, The emperor Trojan has, got- has goat ears. Then the emperor was convinced that nothing on this earth could be hidden, spared the barber-apprentice's life, and henceforth allowed any barber, without exception, to come and shave him. The Maiden Who Was Wiser Than the King by W. S. Karzik. There once lived a poor man in a miserable hovel, who had no one with him save only a daughter, but she was very wise and went about everywhere seeking alms, and taught her father also to speak in a becoming manner when he begged. It happened once that the poor man came to the king and asked for a gift. The king demanded whence he came, and who had taught him to speak so well. The man said whence he came, and that it was his daughter who had taught him. And who taught your daughter? asked the king. The poor man answered, God and our great poverty. Then the king gave him thirty eggs, saying, Take these eggs to your daughter, and tell her to hatch chickens out of them, and I will reward her handsomely. But if she cannot hatch them, it will go ill for you, go ill with you. The poor man went crying back to his hovel, and related to his daughter what had passed. The maiden saw at once that the eggs had been boiled, but she told her father to go to rest, and assured him that she would see that all went well. The father followed her advice and went to sleep. The maiden took a pot filled with water and beans and set it on fire. On the fellow morning, the beans being quite boiled, she told her father to take a plow and oxen and to plow along the road where the king would pass. And she added, When you see the king, take the beans, sow them, and cry, Hi, go on, oxen mine, heaven be with me, and make my boiled beans take root and grow. And then the king asks you how it is possible for boiled beans to grow, and answer him, It is quite as possible as for boiled eggs to yield chickens. The poor man hearkened to his daughter and went away and began to plow. When he saw the king coming, he began to cry, Hi go, oxen mine, God help me, and make my boiled beans take root and grow. The king, hearing these words, stopped on the road and said to the poor man, here, fellow, how is it possible for boiled beans to grow? And the poor man answered him, Heaven prosper you, king, just as possible for boiled eggs to yield chicken. The king guessed at once that it was the poor man's daughter who had taught him this answer. He ordered his servant to seize him and bring him into his presence. He then gave him a bundle of flax and said to him, Take this flax and make out of it rope and sail, and all that is wanted on shipboard. If you do not, you shall lose your head. The poor man took the bundle in great fear, and went crying home to his daughter, to whom he related that had passed. But the maiden sent him again to rest with the promise that all should go well. On the following day she took a small piece of wood, awoke her father, and said to him, Take this wood, and carry it to the king. Let him cut a spinning wheel, a spindle and a loom, out of it, and I will do all that he demands of me. The poor man again followed the directions of his daughter. He went to the king and delivered the maiden's message. The king was astonished at hearing this, and began to think what he should do next. At last he took up a small cup and said as he gave it to the father, Take this cup to your daughter and let her empty the sea with it, so that it shall become like a dry field. The poor man obeyed with tears in his eyes and took the cup to his daughter with the king's message. But the maiden told him he needed only leave the matter till the morning when she would see to it. In the morning she called her father and gave him a pound of tow to take to the king and bade him say, Let the king step all the springs and rivers mouths of the earth with this toe, and then we'll dry up the sea for him. And the poor man went and told this to the king. Now the king saw that this maiden was wiser than he was himself, and he ordered her to be brought before him. And when the father and daughter stood in his presence and bowed before him, he said to the daughter, Tell me, girl, what is it that man hears the farthest? The maiden answered, Great king, that which man hears the farthest is the thunder and a lie. Upon this the king took hold of his beard, and turning to his counselors, demanded of them. Tell me what my beard is worth. And when one valued it at so much, and the other at so much more, the maiden told them outright that they could not guess it. The king's beard, she said, is as much value worth as three rainy days in summertime. The king was astonished and exclaimed, The maiden has made the best answer. Then he asked her if she could be his wife, nor would he desist from pursuing his suit until she agreed to it. The maiden bent before him and said, Glorious king, let it be as you will, but I beg you to write on a piece of paper with your own hand that should ever be angry with me and should drive me forth from your palace. I shall be at liberty to take whatever I love dearest away with me. And the king agreed and wrote out the paper, and after some time had passed away, it came in fact to pass that the king became one day so angry with his wife that he said to her, I will have you no longer for my wife. Leave my palace and go where you will. Illustrious king, answered the queen, I will obey you. Permit me, however, to stay here over the night. Then in the morning I shall go forth. The king granted her prayer, and the queen, before supper, mixed some brandy and some sweet herbs in the king's wine, and pressed him to partake in it, saying, Drink, O king, and be merry. Tomorrow we part, and believe me, I shall be the happier when I married you. The king drank too much, and when he was fast asleep, the queen had him lay in a wagon, already prepared, and drove him into a rocky cavern. And when the king awoke in the cavern, and saw where he was, he cried out, Who has brought me here? I have brought you here, answered the queen. The king demanded of her, Why have you done this? Have I not told you that you are no longer my wife? Then she said, as she drew forth a sheet of paper, It is true what you say, but see what you yourself have laid down on this sheet, that when I should leave you, I might take with me from your palace that which I love best. When the king heard this, he kissed her, and went back with her to the palace. The Three Sons by Lady Gregory. I'll tell you a story, says the old man, who was bringing a fish from the sea, and after that I'll be going on to Bellarope, to one that has a shop there, and that was reared by my grandmother. It is likely he'll give me a tasty fr- a tasty suit of clothes. Working all my life, I am working with the frail in the barn, working with the spade at the potato tilling, and the potato digging, breaking stones on the road. And four years ago, my wife died. It's, a lonesome, it's lonesome to be housekeeping alone. There was a king long ago in Ireland, And he had three sons, and one of them was something silly. There came a sickness on the king, and he called his three sons, and he said to them that he had knowledge the only thing would cure him was the apple from the burnet's orchard. And he bade them go look for them, for that orchard was in some faraway place, and no one could tell where it was. The three sons went then, and they caught their horses and put on their bridles, and they set out and went on till they came to three crossroads there they stopped and settled among themselves that each one of them would take one of the roads and go searching for the apples and that they would meet at the same place at the end of the year and a day the youngest son that was a bit silly took the crosshead of the roads and he went on till he came across to a cottage by the roadside He went in, and there was a withered old man in the house, and he said, There is a great welcome for the king of Ireland's son. The son was astonished at that, because he thought no one would know him. He was well received there, and in the course of the evening he asked the old man, Did he know where the Bernadette's garden? I am a hundred years old, said the man, and I have never heard of such a place. But I have a brother, he said, that is a hundred years older than I am and it might be he knows, said he. So in the morning he gave a canoe to the king's son, and it went on itself without him turning or guiding it, till it brought him to the old man's brother, and he got a welcome there and good treatment. And in the course of the night he asked the old man, did he know where the Burnett's orchard was? I do not, said he, though I am two hundred years old, I have never heard of it, But go on, he said, to a brother I have that is a hundred years more than myself. So in the morning he went into the canoe, and it went on of itself till it came to where the third old man was, that was older again than the other two. And the king's son asked, Did he know where the Bernadette garden? I do not, said he, although I am three hundred years old, but I will tell you how you will know it, said he. Go on till you come to shore, where you will see a swan gardener standing by the water, and he is the only one that can tell you and bring you to it, said he. Ask him to bring you to that garden in the name of the Almighty God. So the king's son went on in the canoe till he came where the swan gardener was standing on the shore. Can you tell me, said he, where can I get the apples that are in the bird's orchard? "'And can you bring me there?' said he. "'Indeed,' said the swan-gardener, "'I am in no way obliged to your leader, "'or to whoever it was who sent you to me, "'and give you that teaching. "'And those apples are well-minded,' he said, "'by wolves, and the only time they sleep "'is for three hours once in every seven years, "'and it chances they are asleep "'for those three hours at this time. "'And so I will bring you there,' he said. "'With that he stretched out his wings,' and he bade the king's son to get on his back, and it was long before he could start flying it was long before he could start flying with the weight that was on him, but at last he flew away, and he brought the king's son to Burden's garden, and there was a high wall around it, but he flew over the wall and put him down in the garden. The king's son filled his bag with the apples, and when he had done that he went looking around, and came to a large cottage in the garden. And he went in and there was no one in the house but a beautiful young girl and she was asleep so he went away but he thought with him he brought with him the golden rings and the gold gardeners that he saw there in the window he got up again on the back of the swan gander but it was hard for it to rise with the weight of the bag of apples but it did rise at last and it brought him to where the old man was that was three hundred years old the king's son gave one of the apples to the old man, and no sooner did he eat it than his age left him, and he was like a boy of fifteen years. He went on then to the two older men, and gave an apple to both of them, and no sooner did they eat it than they were y- like young boys again. Then the king's son went back to the crossroad, for it was the end of the year and a day, and he was the first to come there. He fell asleep, and the two brothers came and saw him there. And they stole the bag of apples from under his head and put in the place of his, a bag of apples that were of no use of all. They went on to their father's house, and they gave him the apples they had stolen. And he was cured on the moment, but they told him what the youngest son was bringing, and told him was a poison apples that would bring him to his death. The king was very angry when he heard that, and he went to his butler and said, Go out to the woods where my son is and shoot him and bring his heart here with you on the top of a gun and throw it to the dogs at the door for i will never have him or anything belonging to him brought into this house he said so the butler got the gun and went out to the wood and when he saw the young man he was going to shoot him why would you do that he said so the butler told him all the father ordered him and the young man said do not shoot me but save me and this is what you will do Go into the woods until you meet with a woodcock, and shoot it, and take the heart out of it, for that is most like the heart of a man. Bring the woodcock's heart to my father's house, he said, and throw it to the dogs at the door. So the butler did that and spared him, and took the woodcock's heart and threw it into the dogs at the door. It was a good while after that a beautiful young lady came to the king's doorway in a coach and four. A coach and four and stopped at the door. send out my husband to me here, she said, so the eldest son came out to her. was it you came to the garden for apples said she it was say he what things did you take notice of in the cottage where I was she says she so he began telling her the things that he so he began telling of this thing and that thing that never was in it at all. And when she heard that, she gave him a clout that knocked his head as solid as any stone in the wall. Then the second son came out, and she asked him the same question, and he told her the same lies. And she gave him another clout that left his head as solid as any stone in the wall. Then the king heard all that. He knew they had deceived him, and that it was the youngest son who got the apple for his cure. And he began to cry after him to lament "'that he was not living to come back again. "'Would you like to know where he is living yet?' said the butler. "'I would sooner hear it than any word ever I heard,' says the king. "'Well, he's living yet, and is in the wood,' said the butler. "'When the young lady heard this, she bade the butler bring her to where he was, "'and they went together to the wood, and there they found him, "'where he had been living on the fruit of trees through most of the year.' When the young lady saw him, she said, Was it you who came to the house where I was in the garden? It was, says he. What things did you take notice of in it? Here they are, says he, and put his hands into his pocket, and brought out the gold rings and the golden gardeners and and the other signs he had brought away. So she knew that he was the right one, and she married him, and they lived happily ever after. And there was a great rejoicing and the king's in the King of Ireland's house. Ho Klee and the Dwarves, retold by Andrew Lang. There once lived in a small town in China a man named Ho Kli. He was a steady and industrious man who not only worked hard at his trade but did all his own housework as well, for he had no wife to do it for him. What an excellent, industrious man! Is Hawk Lee, said Lee, na- said his neighbors, how hard he works? He never leaves his house to amuse himself or take a holiday as others do. But H- Huck Lee was by no means a virtuous person, his neighbors thought him to be. True, he worked hard enough by day, but at night, when all respectable folk were fast asleep, he used to steal out and join a dangerous band of robbers, who broke into rich people's houses. And carried off all they could lay hands on this state of things went on for some time and Though a thief was caught now and then and punished, no suspicion ever fell on hockley was a very such no suspicion ever fell on Hokely. he was such a very respectable, hard-working man. Hokely had already amazed a good store of money as his share of the proceeds of these robberies, but it happened one morning on going to the market that a neighbor said to him, "Why, Hokely, why is the matter with your face? One side is all swelled up. True enough, Hokely's right cheek was twice the size of his left, and it soon began to feel very uncomfortable. "Will I will blind, bind up your face, said Hokely. Doubtless the warmth will cure the swelling. But no such thing. The next day it was worse, and day by day it grew bigger and bigger, till it was nearly as large as the head, nearly as large as his head, and became very pa- painful. Oakley was at his wits' end what to do. Not only was his neck unsightly and painful, but his neighbors began to jerk and make fun of him, which hurt his feelings very much indeed. One day, as luck would have it, a traveling doctor came to town. He sold not only all kinds of medicine, but also dealt in many strange charms against witches and evil spirits. Hokely determined to consult him, and asked him into the house. After the doctor examined him carefully, he spoke thus: "Miss Hokely is no ordinary swelled face. I strongly suspect you have been doing some wrong deed, which has called down the anger of the spirits on you. None of my drugs will avail to cure you, but if you are willing to pay me handsomely—' I can tell you how you may be cured. Then Hokely and the doctor began to bargain together, and it was a long time before they could come to terms. However, the doctor got the best, the better of it in the end, for he was determined not to part with his secret under a certain price, and Hokely had no mind to carry his huge cheek about him to the end of his days, so he was obliged to part with the greater portion of his ill-gotten gains. When the doctor had pocketed the money, he told Hoagley to go on the first night to the full moon, to a certain wood, and there to watch by a particular tree. After a time, he would see the dwarfs of a little sprite, who lived underground, come out to dance. When they saw him, they would be sure to make him dance, too. And mind you, you dance your very best, added the doctor, if you dance well and please them. "'They will grant you a petition, and you can beg, the, beg to be cured. "'But if you dance badly, they will most likely do you some mischief out of spite.' "'With that, he took leave and departed. "'Happily, the first night of the full moon was near, "'and at the proper time, Hoagly set for the wood. "'With a little trouble, he found the tree the doctor had described, "'and feeling nervous, he climbed up onto it. "'He had hardly settled himself on a branch.' when he saw the little dwarfs assembling in the moonlight. They had come out from all sides, till at length they appeared to be hundreds of them. They seemed in high glee, and danced and skipped and carpeted about, while Hokley grew so eager watching them, that he crept farther and farther along his branch at length. It gave a loud crack, and all the dwarfs stood still, and Hokli felt as if his heart stood still also. Then one of the dwarfs called out, Someone is up in that tree. Come down at once, whoever you are, or we must come and fetch you. In great terror, Oakley proceeded to come down, but he was so nervous that he tripped near the ground and came rolling down into the most absurd manner. When he had picked himself up, he came toward with a low bow, and the dwarf who had first spoken and who appeared to be the leader said, Now then, who art thou, and what brings thee here? So Hokely told him the sad story of his swelled cheek, and how he had been advised to come to the forest and beg the dwarfs to cure him. It is well, replied the dwarf, we will see about that. First, however, thou must dance before us. Should thy dancing please us, perhaps we may be able to do something. But shalt thou dance badly, we shall absurdly punish thee. Now take warning, and dance away." With that, he and all the other dwarfs sat round a large ring, leaving Oakley to dance alone in the middle. He felt half frightened to death, and besides, was a good deal shaken by his fall from the tree, and did not feel at all inclined to dance. But the dwarfs were not to be trifled with. Begin! cried the leader. Begin! shouted the rest in chorus. So, in despair, Oakley began. First, he hopped on one foot, and then the other. But he was so stiff and nervous that he made. But a poor attempt, and after a time sank down on the ground, and vowed he could dance no more. The dwarfs were very angry; they crowded around Hogli and abused him. thou to come here and to be cured indeed, they cried, "Thou hast brought one big sheikh with thee, but thou shalt take away two and with that, they ran off and disappeared, leaving Hogli to find his way home at best he might. He hobbled away, weary and depressed and not a little anxious on the account of the dwarf's threat nor were his fears unfounded for when he arose the next morning his left cheek was swelled up as big as his right and he could hardly see out of his eyes Oakley fell in despair yet his neighbors cheered at him once cheered at him more than ever the doctor too had disappeared so there was nothing for it but to try the dwarfs once more he waited a month till the first night of the full moon. It came round again, and then he trudged back to the forest and sat down under the tree from which he had fallen. He had not long to wait. Eerie long doors came trooping out until all were assembled. "Don't feel quite easy," said one. "I feel as if some horrid human being is near us." When Haukli heard this, he came forward and bent down to the ground before the doors, who came crowding around and laughing heartily at his comical appearance with two big cheeks. What dost thou want, they asked, and Hockley proceeded to tell them of his fresh misfortune, and begged so hard to be allowed once more trial at dancing, that the dwarfs consented, for there is nothing they love so much as being amused. Now Hockley knew how much depended on his dancing well, so he plucked up a good spirit and began quite and began first quite slowly, but faster by degrees, and he danced so well and gracefully and made such new and wonderful steps that the doors were quite delighted with him. They clapped their tiny hands and shouted, "Well done, Hoakley, well done, go on, dance more for we are pleased and Hoakley danced on and on till he really could dance no more, and was obliged to start, obliged to stop. Then the leader of the dwarfs said, We are well pleased, Hoagley, and as for, and as a response for thy dancing, thy face shall be cured. Farewell. With these words, he and the other dwarfs vanished, and Hoagley, putting his hands to his face, found the great joy that his cheeks were reduced to their natural size. The way home seemed short and easy to him, and he went to bed happy, and resolved never to go out robbing again. The next day, the whole town was full of the news of Hoke's sudden cure. His neighbors questioned him, but could get nothing from him, except the fact that he had discovered a wonderful cure for all kinds of diseases. After a time, a rich neighbor who had been ill for some years came and offered to give Hoakley a large sum of money if he could tell him how he might be, get cured. Hoakley consented on, on condition that he swore to keep the secret, he did so, and Hokley told him of the dwarves and their dances. The neighbor went off carefully, obeyed Hokley's direction, and was duly cured by the dwarves. Then another and another came to Hokley to beg his secret, and from each he extracted a vow of secrecy and a large sum of money. This went on for some years, so that at length Hokli became very wealthy, became a very wealthy man, and ended his days in peace and prosperity. A Dreadful Boar by Ellen McFiddle A poor old woman who lives with one little granddaughter in the wood was out gathering sticks for fuel and found a green stock of sugar cane which she added to her bundle. She presently met an elf in the form of a wild boar that asked her for the cane. She declined giving it to him saying that at her age to stoop and to rise again was to earn what she picked up. "'and at, and she was going to take the cane home "'and let her little granddaughter suck its sap. "'The boar, angry at her refusal, "'said that during the coming night "'he would come and eat her granddaughter "'instead of the cane, "'and went off into the woods. "'When the old woman reached her cabin, "'she sat down by the door and wailed, "'for she knew that she had no means "'of defending herself against the boar. "'While she sat crying, "'a vendor of needles came along, and asked her what was the matter she told him but all that she but all he could do for her was to give her a box of needles the old woman stuck the needles thinly over the lower half of the door on its outer side and then went on crying just then a man came along with a basket of crabs heard her lamentations and stopped to inquire what was the matter she told him but he said he knew of no help for her but he could do the best he could for her by giving her half of his crabs. The woman put the crabs in a in her water jar behind the door and again sat down and cried. A farmer who was coming along from the fields leading his ox also asked the cause of her distress and heard her story. He said he was sorry he could think not he could not think of any way of preventing the evil she expected but that he would leave his ox to stay the night with her, as it must be a short of company for her in her loneliness. She led the ox into her cabin and tied it to the end of her bedstead, giving it some straw, and then sat down to cry again. A courier returning on horseback from a neighboring town was the next to pass her door, and he dismounted to inquire what troubled her. Having heard her tale, he said he would leave his horse to stay with her and to make the ox more contented. So she tied the horse to the foot of the bed, and thinking how surely evil was coming upon her, she burst out crying anew. A boy just then came along with a snapping turtle that he had caught and stopped to ask what had happened to her. On learning the cause of her weeping, he said it was of no use to contend against spirits, but that he would give her his snapping turtle as a proof of his sympathy. She took the turtle and tied it in front of her bedstead and continued to cry. Some men were carrying milestones, millstones, then came along, inquired into her trouble, and expressed their compassion by giving her a millstone, which they rolled into her backyard. While they were doing this, a man went by carrying hose and pickaxes, and they stopped and asked her why she was crying so hard she told him her grief and he said he would gladly help her if he could but the only but he was only a well digger and could do nothing for her except dig a well she pointed out a place in the backyard and he went to work and quite quietly dug a well on his departure the old woman cried again until a paper seller came and inquired what was the matter. When she told him, he gave her a large sheet of white paper and a token of pity, and she laid laid it smoothly over the mouth of the well. Nightfall came, the old woman shut and barred the door, put her granddaughter snugly on the wall side of the bed, and then lay down beside her to wait the foe. At midnight the boar came and threw himself against the door to break in, the needles wounded him sorely so that he had gained an entrance so that when he gained entrance he was heated and thirsty and went to the water jar to drink when his thirst and his snout when he thrust his snout the crabs attacked him clung to his bristles and pinched his ears till he rolled over and over to free himself then in a rage he appre- he approached the front of the bed but in the snapping turtle nipped his tail and made him retreat under the feet of the horse who kicked him over to the ox and the ox tossed him back to the horse thus beset, he was glad to escape to the backyard to take a rest and to consider the situation seeing a clean paper spread on the ground he went to lie upon it and fell into the well the old woman hearing the fall rushed out and rolled the millstone down on him, and crushed him. The five queer brothers by adele m by Adele M. Fiddle, an old woman had five grown-up sons that looked just alike. The eldest would gulp up the ocean at a mouthful. the second was hard enough to nick steel, and the third was extensible had extendable legs. The fourth was unaffected by fire, the fifth lived without breathing. They all concealed their particular traits, and the neighbors did not know they were queer. The eldest supporter of the family by fishing, going alone to sea, and bringing back loads of spoils. The neighbors often besought him to teach their sons how to fish, and he at last let their boys go with him. One day, to learn his art, on reaching the shore he sucked the sea into his mouth, and sent the boys to the dry bottom to collect the fish. When he was tired of holding the water, he beckoned the boys to return, but they were playing among strange objects and paid no heed to him. When he could contain the sea no longer, he had to let it flow back into the former basin, and all the boys were drowned. As he went homeward, he passed the doom of the parents, who inquired how many fish their sons had caught and how long they would be in coming back. He told them the facts, but they were not excuse him. They dragged him before the magistrate to account for the loss of their children. He defended himself by saying he had not invited the boys to go with him, and he had consented to their going only when the parents had repeatedly urged him, that after the boys were on the ocean bed, he had done his utmost to induce them to come ashore, that they had held the water as long as he could. He had then put in the sea basin solely because there was nowhere else that could contain it notwithstanding this defense the judges decided that since he took the boys away and did not bring them back he was guilty of murder and sentenced him to be beheaded he entreated to leave to pay he entreated leave to pay before his execution one visit to his aged mother and this was granted He went alone and told his brothers of his doom, and the second brother returned in his stead to the judge, thanked him for having given him permission to perform a duty required by fulfilling piety, and said he was ready to die. He knelt with a bowed head, and the headsman brought a knife down across the back of his neck, but the knife was nicked, and the neck was left unharmed. A second knife and a third of finer steel were brought and tried by headsmen, who were accustomed to severing heads clean off at one stroke. Having spoiled their best blades without so much as a scratch to his neck, they took him back to prison and informed the judge that his sentence could not be executed. The judge accordingly decreed that he should be dropped into the sea, which covered his victims with the old woman's son, Heard this decision, he said that he he said that he took leave of his mother, supposing that his head was to be cut off, and that if he was to be drowned, he must go to her and make known his fate, and getting her blessing anew. Permission being given, he went and told his brothers what had happened. The third brother took the place of the second, and presented himself before the judge, as the criminal that was to be sunk in sea. He was carried far from the shore and thrown overboard, but he stretched his legs till his feet touched the bottom, and he stood with his head in the air. They hauled him aboard and took him farther from land, but still his extendable legs supported him above the waters. Then they sailed to the mid-ocean and cast him into the great depths, but his legs still lengthened so that he was not drowned. They brought him back to the judge, reported what had been done, and said that some other method of destroying him must be followed. On hearing this, the judge condemned him to death by being boiled in oil, while the cauldron was being heated, and he begged to obtain permission to go and tell his mother the way he had survived the attempt to drown him, and the matter in which he was soon to be taken off. His brother having heard the latest judgment, the fourth went to bear the penalty of the law and was lowered into the kettle of boiling oil. In this he disported himself, as if in a tempered bath, and he asked his executors to stir up a little fire to increase the warmth. Finding that he could not be fried, he was remanded to prison. At this the populace of bereaved parents a magistrate joined in an effort to invent a sure method of putting him to death water fire and sword all having failed they finally fixed upon smothering him in a vast cream cake the whole country round made contributions of flour for the pastry of sugar for the filling and the brick for a huge oven and it was made and baked on a plain outside the city walls meanwhile the prisoners was allowed to go and bid his mother farewell, and the fifth brother secretly became his substitute. When the cake was done, a multiple of people with oxen, horses, and ropes dragged it to the execution ground, and within the culprit was inferred. As he was able to exist without air, he rested peacefully until the next midnight, and then safely crawled forth, returned to his home, and dwelt there happily for many years with his remarkable brothers." Well, I want to thank you for listening to this Photations Live to Tape podcast. I will see you next week. Thank you for viewing this Live to Tape video. Live to Tape is part of Photations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit PhotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.